0: In John chapter 13, I'm going to read the passage and then I'm going to come back to it next week, but I want that to be the context of what I'm going to talk about even today. Because John 13 really introduces a whole new thought, a whole new way from 13 through 21 in terms of where Jesus is at. This is probably Thursday or Friday evening of Passover, just Hours before Jesus is going to be taken to the cross, and uh, he is really going to deal from 13 onward, really dealing with his disciples in terms of some things that uh, he wants to deal with them personally. He's getting ready to leave them. He's getting ready to instruct them, and he wants them to be able to be a- to be able to uh, fulfill the mission for which he came. John 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, i gotta highlight this, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was, strapped, that was wrapped around him. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The humility of our Savior. The humility of our Savior. There was a story about a student who was unprepared for his final exam in ornithology, the study of birds. It was a tough class, and the professor was renowned for being a formidable character. You know the type, the kind of professor who takes pride in making the class as difficult as possible. Well, the final was coming, and this student thought he was prepared. But you never really know if you if you studied enough with a professor like this. And on the day of the final, he walked into the classroom, but saw no blue book, no blue books, on the desk, no questions written on the board, nothing. Instead, he looked around the room. He observed 25 pictures of birds' feet. He had no idea what was going on. After the rest of the class arrived, the professor stood up and said, For your final exam, you have to identify the species of all 25 birds by looking only at their feet. The student went ballistic. He said, this is crazy. I've studied really hard. I thought I was prepared for this, but nobody could pass a final exam like this. The professor said, well, that's too bad. This is the final. The student said, this is not fair, and I'm not going to take it. The professor said, you have to. You're the student. I'm the professor. You have to take this exam, or I will flunk you. The student replied, that's fine. You just go ahead and fail me. Then the professor said, all right, you fail. What's your name? And the student looked at the professor indignantly, took off his shoes and socks, rolled up his pants legs, and said, I don't know. You tell me. Ah, if only I had the courage to do that with some of my professors. You get it? The professor wanted them to identify the birds by their feet. He just showed the professor his feet and said, I don't know. Look at my feet and tell me who I am. I read that to tell you this. In the passage in John 13, I was thinking about saying, anything but feet, Lord. Anything but feet. And why I would say that is because in life, in an analogy of what Jesus is trying to say in John 13, the fact that he was willing to submit himself to wash the disciples' feet, I don't know. I mean, I love you all, but I don't know if I want to wash your feet. Okay? I mean, some of you probably have some pretty feet, but I really don't want to know. I really don't want to smell them. I really don't want to see them. But in light of what Jesus did, and he did it to, if you read the passage, he just didn't do it. He starts with Peter, but he did it with all of the disciples, including Judas Judas Iscariot. I remember years ago uh, when my wife was doing nails, I said, do you have to do feet? She said, well, I can. I said, oh, God bless you. I don't think I could do that. And in some churches, they have taken this passage and they they have made it a point that part of following Christ is that we have to we're supposed to now because he did it we're now supposed to wash one another's feet. And before they either have services, especially like before the Lord's Supper, the church comes together and they do just like Jesus. Everybody gets to participate in washing one another's feet. And like I just said, I love you but I I can't go that route. That's not going to happen. But in John chapter 13, Jesus, on that Thursday night, right before he's getting ready to go to the cross, gives to us the greatest example of humility. He humbles himself. And I shared with the Sunday school class, and I'm just going to give you... the the bottom line now and work through it, but the bottom line is, he who is the Son of God, he who is God himself, humbled himself enough to wash the feet of his disciples, even the very one that he knew was going to betray him and cause him to make his way to the cross. And the reason why as I was reading that, I told you in, in the very first part of that passage to highlight or to 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 mark that or or pay attention to that, is because the reason why he did this was to show that even as he as the Son of God, humbled himself, he expects you and I to humble ourselves. How do we do that? In service and in gratitude back to him. If he humbled himself to wash feet, then there is nothing in the cause and the service of Christ and the church that any one of us is too good to do. We have no excuse. And when we don't do that, we're really, uh, we're really throwing an insult into the face of God and in the face of Christ by saying, hey, I ain't got to do that. And what he's going to tell you is, wait a minute. My son himself humbled himself. Who are you that you're not willing to humble yourself and if whatever service is needed, that's what you're supposed to do. And he did it out of that one word that so many of you and so many of us love to talk about, and that is out of his love. This is now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come. It's almost that time. Remember we talked about earlier all the way up to this point? He always talked about when this hour, when the time have come. Now that time is here. The hour had come to depart out of the world. Back. He's going back to who? Back to his father, having, and here it is, the whole one of the ways that we do this having loved his own, out of this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus' love was not just part-time. It wasn't just the three and a half years that he walked with them. It was all the way through, and he's telling them right now at this moment. listen, I have loved you. I am loving you, and I always will love you. My love is abounding, overflowing. I just not have loved you because I called you. Come, follow me, and I will make you disciples of me. I will love you from then I'm loving you right now at this moment, and even though my hour has come and I'm getting ready to leave you, I will love you to the end. Guess what? If he loved his disciples to the end, he also will love you and I to the end. Amen? That's good. His love is overabounding. His love is full. His love has no unlimited capacity. He says he left his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. Now, whenever there's God moving and doing, there's always the devil. You can count on it. Wherever God's blessings, the devil is always close by. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got excited, the disciples, the men that were there... Peter, James, and John, they got excited. They had the prophets, they had Jesus, and God's voice came down. And they were like, we just need to stay here. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 you missed the point. Off goes the prophets, off goes the, and the only person that's left is Jesus. And he said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. In other words, our allegiance, our affections only go to Christ. And God said, no, no, you can't stay here. Because the work is down in the valley. We come in on Sunday morning, and we get excited about the things of God. We get excited about the songs, but the work of the ministry is not here. The work of the ministry is outside. There's a lost world. If people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the good news. And this is not about coming in on a Sunday morning. It's taking the gospel to right where they live. Because the average person, the most people in the world will not come to this church just to hear somebody preach. They don't even understand that. A lot of people in the world, are you serious? You actually go to somewhere and listen to some guy? No, 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 no. But they will listen to you when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're at the laundromat, when you're cleaning your car outside and your neighbor starts talking to you, or you're sitting in the cafeteria and people come sit with you and you just start talking and life starts coming out and you have a a great opportunity to share with them the gospel, the good news. But Jesus, the devil's there in the person of Judas. In the heart of Judas during the supper, during this time of fellowship, during this time of, of, of the Lord instructing his men. The devil had already put in the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him. The devil put in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. I find it interesting that one of the things about Jesus is that even his enemies, even though Judas was not an enemy, uh, Judas had full rights and privileges as, as did the rest of the disciples. He did not limit Judas because he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Judas was amongst the disciples. He had the same power. He had the same authority. Jesus did not take anything away from him. In fact, at this point, he's going to watch the very man who's going to walk out and betray him. How many of us could do that? Know that somebody does not like us, does not have any good for us, could care less about us, and yet treat them right. Oh, that... That's why when I look to Jesus, I got to say, Lord, I come up, I'm weighing the balances, and I find myself wanting because mm, sometimes I, you know, I got, I got a little revenge in my heart. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, you did me wrong. I'll tell you, okay. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But one day when the time is right, That would be my opportunity to say, oh, okay. Now it's my opportunity to get back. Can you come and pick me up? No. Hmm. I don't think so. Oh, no, brother, I can't come do that. I'm busy right now. may not be busy at all, but this is my opportunity. I said, that's terrible, Pastor, that you would even think like that. I guess you never think like that out there. You're always doing the right thing. God bless you. I'm glad you have no ill thoughts, no ill wills, never think wrong, never. You're, you're, you've arrived. I'll let you know. I know I haven't arrived. I'm going to be honest. And guess what? You might think you have. You might say, well, I don't do that. But you've done something else. How do you say, how, how can, you don't know that passage? You don't know. Yeah, I do. The Bible says all have sinned. And come what? Short of the glory of God. Oh, you may not choose, treat somebody like that, but you, 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 you've done some things. You've said some things. Amen? Well, not too many want to say amen on that one, but that's all right. There's Judas. And Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. Supper's going on. Jesus gets up. And what does he do? He takes, puts aside his outer garments and taking the towel. He tied it around his waist. They wore long long garments, sort of like robes. And Jesus takes off the outer garment and takes up the part that was on the inside and wraps it. And he is now going to take this and wash the disciples' feet. They get a basin of water. He takes it, puts it in the water, and he starts wiping their feet. Washing them off. That was, that was the custom of that day. Probably in some parts of the world, even now, you could go to the eastern part of the world and in some other places, and they still wash feet Why? Because at that time, they didn't have nice sidewalks and asphalt and all that. The roads were dusty and dirty, and people walked everywhere they went. And as they were walking, their feet would get dirty. And when they got to the house, it was the responsibility of the lowest servant in the house to wash the feet of those that were coming to eat or to come into the house. The lowest servant, not the guy that owned the house or the person that was able to to, uh, be over somebody, but the lowest man in the room. That's why this picture is so amazing that he who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords himself down to the point of a servant, and he's now going to bow before those put his rabbit and start washing and wiping off all the disciples' feet. As a picture to show his humility. Amen? In one of my conversations this past week, I was sitting at a table, and some young guys from Iowa sat down, and they got talking, and they were talking about ministry and stuff, and I said, well, you know, I'm glad I came up the way I did. I said, when I came along and was in ministry, and told Pastor, I was, believed I was called to preach, and uh, I said, he didn't make a big deal about it, he just said, okay, here, read this book and this book. I took them and I read them and nothing was said for quite a while. I said then as I was in ministry, it wasn't about sitting in the pulpit and getting preaching time. And, I don't know, we got to do everything. We got to clean the church. We got to cut the grass. We got to, He called me up one day. I'm painting the church. I need your help. Come on down here. And those were the days that you didn't go, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't do that right now. We got all kinds of excuses in today's service. Oh, well, Pastor, you know, I really can't do that right now. I got other things to do. Back then, it was like, come help me paint the church. I didn't know nothing about painting. My wife would tell you, I don't even paint at home. But I did. And so I said, we did everything. We taught the little kids. We taught the, it wasn't about teaching the adults. It's like you start at the bottom and you work your way up. I said, so we we did it all, you know. I said my pastor was up in Lima doing revival, and every time I go up to Sydney, we go past Lima. And I thought, well, every time Pastor Harris was up in revival at Lima, I was the one. He would say, "McGee, I need you to bring my wife and kids up to Lima." I said, "Yes, sir." So they had this big back then. the big—that's when station wagons were big. They had a big station wagon with a wood on the side, and the six boys and Sister Harris and I—I'm driving, and I would drive on up to to to. Uh, Lima, Amen. And here's the thing: in service, no matter what it is, we ought to be willing to do whatever it takes. Not everything is always about glory and honor. And what I did, what I did tell this young guy, I said, you know, when I go to conferences, when I go with the basics, I see all that they have, and it's a nice, big, beautiful church. And pastor, big is there, and I mean, they've got staff. They got, I mean, they got elders and preachers and all, and all over. You know, he don't have to worry about if there's toilet paper in the bathroom. I mean, that ain't on his pur- purview. He don't have to worry about a lot of things. His main job is to teach and preach. Now, as he, he may be aware of something. And I said, but here's the thing. He will tell you that it was not always like that. We look at the byproduct of saying, man, look at this, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 people, three services Evening service, oh, no. and I said, that's him. But he also says there was a time where he had to make sure there was toilet paper in the bathroom. He said, I had to clean bathrooms. As a servant, you do whatever it is necessary to help the, the thing function. And I said, so for me, I said, yeah, I'm done. I'm, yeah I, I would never ask anybody to do anything that I myself haven't done. I wouldn't ask people to pick up twigs and limbs and stuff in the churchyard, and I haven't done it myself. Amen? No, I know, not yeah. I wouldn't ask you to, you know, clean the church and, well, pastor, I, I've done that. So, yeah, humility is doing whatever you need to do to make sure the job's done. Jesus says, look, wait a minute. I'm going to humble myself to wash the disciples' feet. And he pours the water, and he washes, and he wraps the 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 cloth around, the towel around him, and he came to Simon Peter. If you know anything about Peter, Peter was an impetuous type of guy. He could say things and just go, what? What's he talking about? Where's Peter, where's your mind? Peter was sort of indignant here, says, Lord, do you wash my feet? He's not saying this like, Lord, do you wash my feet? No. He's kind of upset because he recognizes who Jesus is. He's like, Basically, he said, why are you going to wash my feet? Of all feet, why are you washing my feet? Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? Yeah, you don't really, need really to do that. Jesus says, Peter, what I'm doing, you don't understand. But you will understand really after I'm gone. He's like, Lord, no, no, Lord, don't do that. Please, don't, don't, don't wash my feet. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus asked him, Listen. Well, let me tell you something. If I do not wash your feet, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me, Peter. If I do not wash you, you will have no part of me. Guess what? If you don't allow Jesus to wash your feet, he will have no you will have no part with him. And what he's talking about is the ultimate salvation. We have been washed completely. Those of us who know Jesus, we are as saved, we are as sanctified, we're as set apart as we ever will be in our position in Christ. He has thoroughly washed us. We are cleaned as we could ever be. And Peter, if you don't let me do that, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said, now here he is. Jesus just said, Peter, I got to do this because I got to say, I have saved you all, all that you need. You've got it all. Peter says, well, no, First, he says, No. Jesus explains what he's doing. And here's what Peter says Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and head. So he went from one extreme to the other. First, no part. Now, just wash me thoroughly. Peter, you've already been washed thoroughly. You don't, and he already has told us, and some people are still in that position today, what I am doing, you don't really understand. Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my hands and my head. Jesus said, wait a minute. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. Peter, 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 listen to me. Peter, listen, listen, listen. What's that was that little boy Mateo, whatever his name is? Listen to me, mom. Mom, listen. Listen. listen to me. Jesus, says, listen to me, Peter. You are completely clean, but there's one who is not. The one who is not is Judas. He's not. He's not clean. He's not saved. He's not. He's not. But the rest of you are. For he knew. Who it was to betray him and that is why he said not all are clean the reason why he said somebody said well, how did you get that i got that right there he jesus knew who was to betray him that's why he said not all of you are clean because the devil had put in the heart of judas to betray him so when jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place he said to him said to them do you understand what i have done to you Guess what? You call me Father and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, here it is, this is the key, this is the point of the whole passage. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. That's it. If I did this, guess what? You need to do it. In the body of Christ, we as believers, we as members of Cornerstone Baptist Church, we ought to be able to wash one another's feet. Now, he's not talking literally. He's talking about in our service to one another. If your brother has need, we who are of the household of faith are to help our brother or sister who is in need. If I, then you're like, wait a minute. Who are you to exempt? Who are you to say, uh, I'm exempt. I don't have to do that. No, there's not a person in this room now or any other person that's not here that exempts themselves from doing what the Lord wants us to do in our humility and service to one another. You don't have a choice. And if you make that choice, then that might tell you more about who you are than who you really are. Because if you opt out of it, what you're really saying is, he is not really the Lord and Master of your life. And if he's not Lord and Master of your life, you may not be saved. The humility of our Savior. He set the example. He set the bar. Some of you have children. Amen? Hopefully. You're setting an example for your children to follow. And when you get mad at some of their behaviors, maybe the reason why you and I get mad is because they are showing some part of who we might really be. They have to learn it somewhere. You say, well, they learn it on the streets. I know Well, that could be true. But they live with you and hear you and talk with you. Listen, it's really simple. If your relationship to Christ, your service back to the Lord is not of importance to you as the adult, it will be, it's not going to be important to your children. It's not going to happen. I don't care how old they are because they will have said they would be able to tell you, like the little boy that, you know, people watch, you know, parents do some things, and they say, well, I don't want you to don't do as I do, just do as I say. But our actions sometimes speak louder than words. You may not want your kids to drink or smoke or do whatever, but if that's who you are, they've picked that up their whole life, and they said in their little minds, they're saying, well, wait a minute, that's not, that must not be that bad because mom and daddy are doing it. If mom and daddy do it, I guess I can do it. And sometimes in the church, that's the mentality that some people have. They watch different members, they watch different people in the church, and they say, well, it's not important to them. I guess it shouldn't be important to me. Evidently, really, often now, it's, it's something you can do. That's only for the pastor. He's got to be there. That's only for the leadership team. They got to be there. That's only for certain ones. I ain't got to be there if I don't want to be there. I can opt out. Well, no, you really can't because it's all about your humility before the Lord. It's about your humility because Jesus says, who am I? If you call me teacher and Lord, yeah, but guess what? If I do it, you need to do it. And he says in verse 15, why do I need to do it? For I have given you an example. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. As I do, you do. My word's important to me. My word ought to be important to you. My service is important to others. I have loved you, and I will love you, and I have loved you in the past. I love you right now, and I will love you into the future. That's, uh, uh, That's who we ought to be, even as a church. We ought to love, they will know you are Christians, they will know you are my disciples. How? By the love that we share towards one another. Somebody said, you don't have to like me, you just have to love me. And then you're loving me, you might get to like me. But you cannot opt out of loving me. Because one of the marks of a believer, one of the marks of somebody who knows Jesus is that we have the love for one another. We love the brethren and the sisters. We don't have that love that speaks about where we might be in our relationship to Jesus Christ. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know, K-N-O-I, know in the sense of it's something that you have seen and processed and is now part of who you are. If you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. You know, maybe the reason why some of us look so sad all the time is because we're not being, we haven't been blessed. Blessed means happy, joyful, content. You have a smile on your face sometimes. Blessed, he says, are those that do these things. If we do it, we get the blessings of God. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you want the blessings of God? Huh? I know I do. But guess how you get the blessings of God? You get the blessings of God by doing what he says you do. And in this case, in John 13, he's showing the humility of Christ, of our Savior, as he was humble, you and I need to be humble and it takes a lot I know it takes your time it takes up sometimes your substance it takes sometimes of you doing some other things that you might want to do but if you ask Jesus he would probably tell you uh, as I was running the universe I probably could have opted out of coming to save man but I didn't why? He loved us. I can serve you. I should be able to serve you out of my love for you. Amen? And we ought to be able to serve one another out of our love for each other. That's why when so many couples come and I have counseled them, and we're in love and, you know, they're all happy and whatever, I go, eh. I was telling a pastor, I said that, he said, that's, that's what I, I kind of go with that too. You see, they, they're just so, we're just, we're just in love. And I go, eh, that's nice. But marriage is no joke. It's a serious commitment. Too many people start out with a great bang, and then they end with a fizzle. And I've had people on the backside come to me and say, you know what? It's not working. I'm thinking about leaving my wife. And the first question I ask is usually, So what changed? Five years, ten years, a couple years ago, you came in here and you were so excited. What happened to that love that you had then, that now that is so different? Because the externals will go. Goes. Goes. If not life and situations... There was a professor that, uh, there was a guy that had the opportunity to, to take over a church that was bigger than the church that he had. And uh, he had to step down from the church he was at and tell the church that wanted him that he couldn't do it. The reason why, he said, they said, well, why are you taking, stepping down? He said, well, my wife is ill. She's sick. And I'm stepping down to take care of her. Everybody that knew him was like, man, this is a great opportunity. You, you know, this doesn't come but once in a lifetime. He said, I understand that. He said, but I married her. I said for sick, in sickness and in health till death do us part. She's unable to take care of her. She had contracted the disease. And my love for her is I'm going to take care of her. I'm leaving ministry. I'm leaving my job. Something I love to do, and I will, whatever time, however long, if she gets better, that's great. If not, it doesn't make any difference. I'm taking care of her. That's the idea of servanthood. That's the idea of humility, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we are. Humility is not thinking about yourself that you can do some things. It's thinking more highly. You put yourself above. There's some things that you are gifted at that you You shouldn't feel bad about saying, you know, I'm really good at whatever it is. But if you think whatever it is that you got is better than everybody else's, then that's when humility has become a sense of pride. And I said, wow, would I be willing to leave all to take care of my wife? I hope I would. I believe I would. After 33 years and all I put her through, that's the least I could do. Amen? Amen. So when I see some of the gray hair in there, I said, that's part, that's that's mine. Some of that's me. Jesus is our humble servant. I want to give you four habits that will help you be able to survive when trouble comes. And the issue is not that trouble will not come, but it will come. Jesus tells us, especially when we get to John 15, that one of the ways that we will have the answers to some of our troubles is if we remain in Him. That's how the disciples are going to have service. They will have service by remaining in Christ. That's how we remain means to abide. It's used 40 times in John, it's used 27 times in his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And what that really means is total dependence on God. You can't serve, I can't serve, we can't have that humility unless we totally serve God. Christ. Here are four habits that will keep you and I dependent on Jesus and prepared for whatever may come. Habit number one: trust in Jesus' word. John 15:17 157, 15, I'm sorry. John 15:7 says, "If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you." Stay in the word. Stay with the word. Not everybody else's word, but God's word. Amen? Habit number two. so Trust in, in Jesus' word. Habit number two. Here it is. It's a hard one. Love one another. John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. As God has loved us, so we are to love one another. Amen? And that takes sacrifice because sometimes we're not lovable. I like I like him, but I don't know about that love part. No, you got to love me. I got to love you. even, and, and all of us. It always amazes me how people think they don't have... Uh, Things about them that they're perfect, the same things that you see in somebody else and sometimes it's some things some people see in you. He is really a pastor. that guy, I don't get him. I don't, I don't where does he? He, he I got to pray. Because he thinks things and says things, and I just go, where does that come from? Okay? Well, yeah, it's fine. I'll take that. I can say that about you. You say and you do things, and I just go, Jesus, help them. Notice what I said, Jesus, help them. And somebody else has say that about you, too. Man, that's Sister secret. No, we all got that, but we got to love one another. Amen? As I have loved you, so we are to love one another. Habit number three. Rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. If If you're trying to live the Christian life without the Spirit of God, you can't do it. There's no way in heaven or hell that I can love you unless the Holy Spirit that resides in me enables me to love you. Because everything about me and everything about you would say, I don't need to love you. But Jesus says, Uh, hold it, I give to you a new commandment. Serve the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Too many of us talk about we love Jesus, we love God, but it's a hard time for us to love one another. But you have to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit, amen? God is too good to us, is he not?